0: We are live, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Crypto Gaming Institute podcast. I'm your host, Ben. And today we have Mr. Raphael, a Cointelegraph senior researcher who has been um, working in um researching the game five space lately and um i don't want to give away too much info i don't know how much you could share um but i know you have something really really cool coming out in a couple of days um so really excited to, to get to chat about that and to get to chat with you so first of all thank you for coming on the show today
1: thanks for having me ben really excited to be part of this show and um, looking forward to our chat
0: yeah absolutely so i think everybody knows you know what cointelegraph is um you know, definitely a media powerhouse, a leading authority in the crypto space, the blockchain space, and so I would love to understand before we dive into. Um, and we kind of talked about doing almost like a like a game by crypto gaming state of the union of like where we really are today on on the episode. But before we get to that, I would love to really understand more about your story. Like, how did you get here? um how did you get to this position um you know where you're like a a leading authority on this on this uh information how'd you really get to where you are today
1: um so i'll keep it really
0: short because
1: i i think it's really about the subject more than than me but i started uh i came in touch with bitcoin in 2013 where we started to develop mining hardware in austria and um that didn't go too far because at that time we were seeking investors to catch up with Avalon Labs, who was at that time the leading mining manufacturer. And like we, we got totally laughed out of the room by inv- uh, possible investors who were like, you want me to invest 100,000 euros into um, this mathematic currency, game currency? Are you stupid? <laughs> Leave.
0: Biggest mistake of their lives.
1: <laughs> in hindsight, definitely, yeah. But they they were pretty sh- pretty sure of themselves at that point.
0: Um,
1: so then I just kind of, kind of kept in touch with the space, uh, bought some Bitcoin, sold some Bitcoin, uh, was part of 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 purchasing Ether and using it for the DAO when that hack happened. So that was exciting. And then in two thousand seventeen. We start, I started to, to go in full time into, into crypto. We uh, we actually ran a Bitcoin hard fork at that point and um, did some research into fractional reserve cryptocurrencies. And uh, from then I started to work for um, the Swiss company numbers.com, who's, who's doing a self custodial Bitcoin account. And then started to work with Demelza Hayes, who's the lead researcher for crypto, uh, for for Cointelegraph. And that's how I got into Cointelegraph and um, started working with them.
0: Amazing. So how did you then, out of all the areas of crypto to really focus your research on, how did you really come to the point where you wanted to focus on the GameFi space? So I've been watching
1: the NFT space pretty closely in 2020 and 21. And I was really excited about that and and saw like what was happening. And and I can think of a a ton of different uses for NFTs. Mm. And around that time, I um, I got the first look at Axie. And then in 2021, that kind of exploded, and I was re- it was really blowing my mind because I, I, I like it, it caught me totally unaware. I, I was kind of aware of the project, but I totally didn't see that potential. And in hindsight, of course, it was obvious and really well executed. But that like piqued my interest, and that was uh, when the medal asked about like what kind of topics we want to focus on. Like my, my three nominations were games, DAOs, and the third, I think, were stable coins. And then, so we did games first. Um, it was me and um, Brian or and Helen Rosenberg, and some data issues from Alexander Valentine, who is like the, the the data wizard of the team and helped us with charts and researching, you know, balances on different uh, games and on different blockchains. And. Um, as we dove into that, we were like looking for okay. We, we didn't just want to document the space, although that's interesting in itself. But we want to have wanted to have like a clear takeaway, like something that that readers can really take home, and that's in a in a way surprising also, like a surprising insight. And the more we researched, the clearer it became that what differentiates blockchain games from Games before is that blockchains are or um, bring as part of, of the technical repertoire that they contain, is they bring economic building blocks to games. Be- because before, if you developed a game and you wanted to have an in-game marketplace for game materials or for characters, you had to develop the currency, the transactions. Uh, and all these things, and make them secure, and have a price-setting mechanism, and so on and so forth. And that's a lot of development effort. That's orthogonal to developing a game, where you're actually focusing on the content and developing fun gameplay, and uh, you know, like a, a good story and graphics and all that. And and the economic side is something totally different. But when you add blockchains to a game. You get all of these billing blocks, basically, I mean, for free is not correct, but for very cheap. Because if you know some solidity, you know that you can spin up an ERC 20 token in like half an hour, open Zeppelin library, and you're good to go. And it, it'll be a good token. And you have released it on Ethereum. And there you are. And that's in a way what happened um, with Axie and these games is that they that they chose to use blockchains to offer users these mechanisms that come so easy with blockchains but were so hard to develop before and the reason that's important is that we have seen trading of in-game materials with other games before for instance world of warcraft that was there was some like magic wand or sword that sold for ten thousand dollars on ebay but this transaction is really costly for um, the seller because I have to first I have to find that item. Okay, that's that's the same in both games. But then I have to put it on eBay, wait seven days, the auction finish finishes, and then I actually have no mechanism to transfer it in the game for money. So I have to make sure I I receive these funds on another platform. Uh, there's a trust issue because let's say I receive the funds first will the seller trust me and so on and so forth. So there's a host of issues that actually from an economic perspective are just transaction costs. They are, they add friction to the transaction and make the transaction more costly. And with blockchain games, this completely goes out of the window because it's all inside of the game and it's super smooth. Uh, You can list it on the marketplace, you sell it, you receive the crypto, the smart contract transfers the NFT and it's like super clean, no? easy to do. And on the other side of the equation, you also have open standards because AXE and other games use NFTs and they used ERC 721 compliance um, specifications. So all of a sudden you can take these virtual items out of the game and sell it on third party marketplaces like OpenSea and that's fascinating because the minute you do that these assets become a lot less virtual because they retain utility even outside of the of the game world which is amazing it's like it's there's no other way to do that except with these interoperable blockchain worlds and open standards and and property rights because all of a sudden I, as a, as a player uh, who has these characters and who has these in-game materials, I have control over these items that I didn't have before because I can take it out of the game.
0: Whereas previously in something like a World of Warcraft, to continue with that example, it is very hard if you spend a lot of time and energy leveling up your character, building out your war chest of gold, acquiring a bunch of items they could take that away from you at any time and even if you did try to do the eBay route they could ban you. I mean, they could they could take away your account and then you lose everything. And so yeah. all that work is for naught, so it's really not even that valuable. It has some value, but like you said, the costs just eat away at that value. Yeah, that that's fascinating. Do you think do you think that's the most important like maybe we could get into to to um, understanding like what role this idea plays in the greater understanding of all the innovations of of the crypto gaming space and where we really stand. Is this the most important piece? Is this where the most value is? Is this ownership piece, or is this one piece of a of a bigger story? That's a great
1: question. For me, this is the most important improvement that blockchains bring to the crypto gaming space. And the reason why I see it that way is that <clears throat> I'm sure you've heard it before that in some sense, a blockchain is just a database with, with uh, really poor performance, right? Right. So um, clearly, from, from from this technical side, there's very little that blockchains have to offer to games because especially with, with faster games and fast gameplay, you have really high performance requirements and blockchains can't actually can't deliver there. So here, suddenly the development even becomes a little bit harder. But on the other hand, what they can offer you is these kind of economic billing blocks, like making an in-game currency very easy or making... Storing in-game material is very easy to develop. So I think um, the, the the strong side or the strength that that blockchains have to offer is really in that realm of economics and ownership.
0: So I want to I want to kind of go towards this idea of doing like a. The, the state of the state of the union type of type of thing um mm-hmm. I know we kind of we kind of jumped down into it um and we got to possibly the most important part of it <laughs> right at the right at the get-go uh, but but maybe help us understand you know for somebody who may be their b- crypto gaming is on their radar the metaverse is on their radar but they don't really have a super strong grasp of like, Okay, well, what does the ecosystem look like? What does the landscape look like? And how can I really, how can I really understand this and, and process this in my brain in a really elegant and, and um, organized way? Because there is so much going on out there. Yeah. Like, how do people organize this in their minds? And Maybe we could do that in like a State of the Union of like, where are we right now with GameFi, with crypto gaming? Um, what's what's actually going on there in the marketplace?
1: Okay, yeah, yeah, super good. um so I think one one big obstacle to like understanding it all is that it's so much in flux and developing, so it's really hard to say where this space is going to be one year from now, and um i I kind of stopped making predictions because in a way, it's like you know, I can also flip a coin and it, it it'll have the same accuracy yes. I mean, really. You know, so. <laughs>
0: so true yeah
1: but 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 we can get into like where we are now and like we have seen basically we have seen um i'd say three main routes that game developers choose to embark on and one is games that are actually like i'd say totally economics focused like defi kingdom And in DeFi Kingdom, it was a way to visualize your uh, liquidity position. So just maybe for for listeners who aren't so versed in in decentralized finance, a liquidity position is when you um, basically loan a certain amount of your funds to a, a decentralized exchange in return for some yield, for some interest that you get on this position. And DeFi Kingdom started out as a way to visualize that in, in a beautiful sense with gardens and, and flowers, and then um, built an interesting gameplay on top where you can uh, earn in-game currency called jewels uh, for performance in, in this game. But the main object of the game is still this economic thing of
0: uh, DeFi yields, right? That's right. It's kind of like DeFi. It's like visually rendered DeFi. Exactly. Yeah, That's a beautiful way to put it. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And then you have a game like Axie uh, where you have a lot of gameplay with breeding characters, racing characters, of characters fighting each other in these arena fights. And all the characters are also NFTs, so you can take them out of the game, trade them, there's an in-game currency that you need to breed. So there's there's an economic element, but there's also like a, 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 a gameplay element. And other games um are for, for instance, I think when you look at something like Splinterlands, I think that's also probably in the car- in the in the category of Axie, where you have all these NFTs. But basically it's a card game like Magic the Gathering and So you have that and I think going forward, there will be more games where the gameplay is really front and center and the economics are just there in the back to like have one more avenue to create value for users. And I think this is a really important point that in a way it's a big shift from game developers kind of extracting value from users like, okay, what can we charge them for? To creating more and more value for users, and by creating value for users, you just need to like take off a, a certain percentage. And the more v- value users create for themselves, you also earn. And it's like a, a really good um, self-reinforcing circle where everybody earns and earns. And I think that's a that's a beautiful thing. It's like it's great to see that shift where uh, away from from seeing users just as a source of income to seeing something as an ecosystem that's meant to grow and, and reach everybody who's who's participating. And that's fantastic.
0: I completely agree. And I actually think what it does in an interesting way is it realigns the incentives to where it feels like everybody's on the same team now. Because instead, just like you said, instead of games trying to extract value from users, Now games are focused on trying to help users create as much value as possible together by the games, building the framework and the sandbox for the users to then play in. I realized that was a confusing uh, analogy because there is another thing called sandbox, but like the, (laughs) you know, like building, building the playground that they, that the users can then play in and earn in. And that is really, really interesting. Um, so can you give us a couple more examples of different games that you think are doing a really good job in those three different categories um and are, are kind of the leaders and and are you know are really just performing well doing what they need to be doing um maybe just to give some people just a good jumping off point to continue doing their research as like a like a launch pad so we can we can have just a few more names of like Okay, these are these are good types of games that we can kind of um compartmentalize in this one type of game and then we can go and do research more in in those areas.
1: Of course, of course, uh, like we picked five blockchain games that we kind of compared. Uh and one is Alien Words, which is also like an NFT DeFi focused game doing really well. Had more than uh 40 million uh, locked up in balances um in january already and and growing quite fast we mentioned x infinity which is still going strong strong and actually developing more and more use cases and and uh, expanding the gameplay so definitely still worth watching even though it's one of the older participants in this game then there's um bomb crypto which which i liked a lot because it like reminds me of these kind of eighties and nineties games that I played on my Amiga 500 when I had that. And it's like amazing. <laughs> and Bob crypto is like, you, you, you have these characters that kind of, um, install and diffuse bombs, uh, and you have certain traits of the character that you can then level up, um, in, in return for, using in-game currency and then when you clear maps of bombs, then you also earn, so there is an economic element. Um, DeFi Kingdoms we also touched, um, and Splinterlands is this card game, so these these were the five games that we looked at in the report, and we analyzed them in terms of active users, um, and here we we have seen some interesting developments most games have digital kind of parabolic user growth, and then they kind of plateau and stay on a certain user base. And then we analyzed uh, the volume of transactions, like how how much uh, economic activity is there. And the interesting thing is that even as user growth plateaus, volume still tends to uh, accelerate so more users are are doing more uh, even the same amount of users are doing more and more transactions or doing transactions for more value and then we analyze the games in terms of balance like how much money is locked into these games and this is of course coupled with the in-game currency so, uh, as the in game currency becomes more and more valuable, the, 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 the balance locked growth grows at the same time. Um, yeah, I think that's the, the, the five games
0: that we analyzed for the report. Yeah, that's interesting. So, maybe you could talk a little bit about um, what, what we can learn as far as the various assets. Within the games, because what I've noticed is, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but there are kind of three different types of assets that are um, that you can participate in from the economic side of the game. There's typically like the governance token, like, for example, in the Axis case, there's their AXS token. Then there's Mm -hmm. the in-game token or Axis SLP token. And then there are various types of NFTs Um, that are, you know, are non-fungible tokens, Um, you know, so being Axie and then for other games, there's um, kind of the characters and then there's like the land and then there are accessories to the character. And so for the games that are really doing the best and that are really kind of leading the space here, what are they doing right when it comes to building their economies and having multiple different... Um, types of tokens whether it be fungible non-fungible um, and what's what are they still trying to fix what what obstacles are they still facing um, in regards to their mm-hmm. economies
1: okay good um i think you you touched ab- upon the main points i think um here the, the the game category kind of gets expanded or even left at some points because if you If you look, for instance, at Decentraland, is this still a game? I mean, there's like really big corporations buying Decentraland, putting up billboards or developing showrooms for their products um, in this virtual world. So is it still a game or is it not? And it it kind of gets a little bit blurry there, but I think um, when you have virtual worlds, land is a big thing to to offer to users, as are accessories to characters, characters by themselves, ways to level up characters and so on. I think in the long run, the games do well that give users more and more opportunities to um to grow and more and more uh ways to to play, like to make that, that keep the game interesting, because let's say XE wouldn't have evolved and you still can only raise the characters and they can fight in an arena, but the, there wouldn't be any land sales or land development, then users would get bored and then they drop off and go to another platform. So I think that's important. And uh regarding the challenges, um, a lot of these games are called play-to-earn games. Uh, Because, like, you play and you you, um, complete certain challenges and and in return for the challenges you get, like, the in-game token. And at some point, especially with the Axie that was clearly visible, the in-game token was valued so highly that new participants suddenly had a hard time to even um, enter the game because you need three Axie characters to start playing. And when each character is maybe a thousand euros, then you so all of a sudden you need 3000 euros or $3600 to even start playing. And then the play to earn economy becomes a have to earn economy, which I think is, is uh, the opposite of what you want in a game, because you want in a game, you want like people having an easy time accessing the game, starting to play. And then if they earn good. Um, and and actually kind of started to, to develop a solution with these scholarships where, um, people who had a lot of access rented them out to other players who couldn't afford them for a fee, but this became rather murky because sometimes the rental fees were really exorbitant or they, they, they went, were rent out for cheap, but like all of the earnings had to be. Or a big chunk of the earnings had to be um, paid to the to the guy to the person renting out the the characters, and so I think um, that's something that that game developers really have to be aware of, like how inclusive is the game, how easy is it to get to get started, like uh, because of course in the beginning when when everything grows and everybody gets rich, like it's amazing, but but what's the long term strategy, like? where do you want to be in five years and how do you get there that's a lot harder i think and and i think we 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 have seen a lot of games that that were uh like really get rich quick schemes and just kind of you know try to draw in as many people as possible and hype the token and then kind of crash and burn so i think that, that that that's a that's a big issue be because it it like it gives the the whole space um, a kind of um, scammy, you know,
0: side bad note. rep, bad, bad reputation. reputation. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's unfortunate. Yeah, I, I'm. That's exactly what I'm seeing too. Is the games that are able to keep building out new content, keep creating new assets. They have the land. They have different accessories. They have different characters. They have multiple entrants. The sinks and sources of ways to allow the sources of, of new value coming into the ecosystem, sources of value um or sinks where value can leave the ecosystem. Um those games are very healthy, especially when they can kind of dial those knobs and adjust the adjust that as needed. Um and specifically what I'm talking about there is, you know, making sure that if you have different types of, um, you know, like you have your in-game currency, well, you have to have a stable price on that currency in order for it to over the long term have real value and to be able to to hold value. Because, yeah, everybody can earn 10 trillion, you know, uh, CGI points, but if those are worth you know, approaching zero, then it doesn't matter how many you have. It's still all approaching zero very quickly. And so you have to not only have ways to earn and to get the, get the currencies and get the assets into people's hands, but then you need a good way for, for those currencies to also be like, you need good demand for those, for those currencies. Like there needs to be a reason for them to exist and a a way to plug them back into the ecosystem. And some of the games that I'm seeing that are doing that really well are the ones that are requiring the in-game token to be used for upgrades, for example, to get stronger weapons, to make you more viable, um within the game and to help you upgrade and progress through the game and things like that. But, you know, adding different elements like that, it makes the game more fun. It makes the economy more stable and, and sustainable long-term. But I absolutely think you're right. Taking that long-term approach. I mean, it's, it's critical. It's hypercritical. And unfortunately we do have some, some bad actors that have come in and given, given us a bad rep. Um, and, uh, some of the some of the gamers that I know from you know the the legacy gaming world of uh, you know uh, not Web three, um, I talk with them all the time and and they have a lot of very valid concerns. I'm like, hey, I'll be the first one to say those are very valid concerns. We need to work together as a community to solve those. Um, anyways, uh, I wanna I wanna kind of continue on here. I would love to dive in and understand more about the this idea of adding in different um like adding in new content adding in new assets and and maybe we could start with the land um and understanding like what do you see as one of the main value drivers for the land nfts because a lot of people ask me all the time like why is why is that land going to be going to be valuable should i buy land where where should i go buy land which game or world should i buy land in and so maybe we can just kind of touch on like the role that that plays and understanding that a little bit more.
1: Super good question. I think one point that you touched on is really important here and that is this kind of openness that you mentioned that's so important because, uh, this is especially true with land. and I think a really with virtual land, it's very similar to buying land, um, on the real estate market, like wh- what, what. What would you pay for a piece of land where, you know, you would never be able to build a house there because of some zoning permits or something? Uh, um, And there's a toxic river flowing through it. And uh, by the way, three times a year, there's a a locust pest coming by versus uh, a a nice piece of uh, newly developed building land um, at the Hong Kong uh, waterfront. I I mean, you know, (laughs) it's kind of. Important uh, distinctions. (laughs) So I think that's exactly the same, um, that you need to ask the questions that you need to ask yourself before buying virtual land. Like what, what's the outlook on this, on this piece of land? How, how will it like, what kind of ways to make that land valuable are, um, are available now? and what have been uh, proposed or are in development. And we have seen with, with Decentraland that they did an amazing job of creating value that's possible on top of that land. And uh, that's why I think when when Facebook announced uh, um, their meta rebrands, uh, that Decentraland picked up so much value was totally justified because, because it's a great project. It's been around a while. It's working. Um, that they, they, they've really like learned their lessons in the in the years that they exist, and I think I think they're on a really good path. And so I think this uh, ties into a, a broader question for NFTs: is like how can NFTs stay valuable? Because like not every NFT is a CryptoPunk. Like CryptoPunk was this once in a decade project, like the very first, and for some reason these. Uh, 64 by 64 jpegs have been discovered as these iconic landmarks of digital art and appreciate and appreciate in value that, that that's not not going to happen for like 99% of uh, profile picture projects out there i'm 100% sure unless you find a way to keep these nfts accruing value in and function in some form and I think as long as you can't expand the functionality of these NFTs and bring those NFTs into virtual worlds where they can perform certain things, these these values will go to zero. Absolutely. Because people will just lose interest. Like, let's say I bought a, a Mighty Baby Dragon a year ago and yeah, the people threw it out. I like the artwork. It's nice. Uh, but. Where Where is that going? And the, the, the answer is probably nowhere. While on the other hand, if you look at the project like Board 8 Yacht Club, where they just. Incredible uh, value adds and often like every half a year or so, they, they bring out this amazing new way where you can use your NFT. And clearly this adds value to the to the project and keeps it top of the mind of investors, which again, reflects on the price. So I think this openness is really central and when buying land, you have to look at the project, like how long does it exist? Probably, I think this is an, a distinction. Um, what's the roadmap like? What are the developers like? What did they do before? I think there, there, there's considerable research to be made, especially since a lot of the land is actually um, quite expensive. like. There's there's frequently a price tag of one ETH, two ETH, something like that. So so that's a decent chunk of money. And I think y- you do well to sit down and really do the research about what's possible with this land and then come to a conclusion if you want to buy it or not.
0: Absolutely. And just to kind of go more into like the function of the land, I think a lot of people are just trying to wrap their heads around Okay, well, what is actually possible with it? So just off the top of my head, maybe you buy land that becomes the metaverse equivalent of New York City, you know, downtown New York City. Maybe, you know, maybe you rent out part of your land to an in-game blacksmith who wants to create weapons and sell their wares to all the people that walk by your parcel of land so there's an economic value to that uh that vendor maybe you rent out your land to somebody like a you know JP Morgan just entered the entered the metaverse and and bought some land so you know maybe the next the next humongous corporation that wants to come in maybe they don't want to buy maybe they want to rent from you and so you can rent that out or you know maybe you you rent it to some Shop owner in the metaverse who wants to open up a shop or something. I don't know. There, there's so many things that 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 could be done with it. Um, what are some other use cases that you've identified? Of like, okay, well, this is this could be some really valuable function that is added to land or that land can um, can take advantage that landowners can take advantage of to bring more value to the land or or. Make it worth their while to purchase it in the first place.
1: So one thing I've seen, I think that was with uh, Remark, which is uh, so spelled R M R K, and it's uh, an, an application to build NFTs on um, Kusama, and and I think now the the also Polkadot. and they have this amazing technology of nested NFTs. So like an NFT can actually own another NFT, um, and They had this showcase of virtual land where somebody bought the land and then another person built the building and the building was another NFT. And on top of the building, somebody built a billboard and rented out the billboard to corporations. And so then if your building is in a good street and a lot of people walk by seeing the billboard, you can charge higher rents for the virtual billboard, which is amazing. So I think we're going to see some really fun stuff happening there and I'm I'm really excited about it. because these virtual lands like really give people the permission to to think outside the box of what's possible and i think we we will see things that are just not possible in the real world and it's going to be a lot of fun i'm really excited about that actually
0: yeah i think so too so it's land is one nft that has a building on it, which is another NFT that then has a billboard on it, which is the third NFT, And that's all nested within one. That's really cool.
1: Yeah. Remark is amazing. I think they're like one or two years ahead of in development, uh, to all other, um, NFT platforms that I've seen and they, they have gotten some attention, but I think nowhere near the level that they deserve, because I think the technology is amazing.
0: Yeah, it's really amazing. Great project, yeah. So as, we, as we're starting to think more about, okay, these games are going to get better. The piece of technology that surround it, something like Remark, that's going to get better. And the metaverse is coming. The metaverse is here. We We don't want to miss out. How would you suggest that people... They're experiencing a lot of FOMO right now. There's not like one clear way to play it to position yourself. What is your recommendation for how people can participate in the metaverse in order to feel like they haven't missed out on this opportunity, knowing that there's so many different ways and it's almost impossible to be like, this is the way to do it? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe we could. Talk about just some options for people to get started and and maybe take us to the point of where we can sufficiently reduce FOMO to a manageable level.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, um, I think regarding FOMO, I, I, I think everybody would do well to, to realize that we are still early. Like this is probably the, the early 1990s regarding the web. You knew probably you remember how web pages looked then with with this kind of HTML t- uh, um, uh, tables. And you know it's like this is where we are. So take your time. <laughs> and then personally, the best decisions I've made in crypto have always come from, from, from a, like from the heart, from a place of, 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 of joy. You know, and the worst decisions have come from oh yeah, uh this is so clever, I have to do it. And this like (laughs) always (laughs) got me wiped out. And and the other parts where I was like really loving it, that that kind of turned out well for me. I mean, of course this is like this is not investment advice. (laughs) Of course, of course. So um I, I think that that's the way to do it, is to just look at projects and start interacting with projects that you just enjoy, that you think the, for some whatever reason, the, the, you like the graphics, you like the story, um, you've seen a video on YouTube, I think YouTube is an amazing place to, to, to dig into that, because you can actually look at the things, people explain it really well, usually. And so I think YouTube is, is a good source for uh, information here um and to just start with whatever picks your fancy and i think especially now at this moment where ethereum gas is so low because like three months ago when we read when we wrote when we started writing the report i'd say maybe for somebody getting in with that doesn't want to spend a lot of money stay away from from ethereum because it's like the gas fees will eat so much into your funds that you won't enjoy interacting with the game. But now this isn't so much of an issue. So I think you can start anywhere that picks your fancy. Um, personally, I'd I'd say like, wh- what do you want to get out of it? Do you like wanna play around with it? Do you like wanna build something cool? Because if you wanna play then maybe something like Axie or Bomb Crypto is nice. If you wanna yeah, build something cool, maybe go into something like Sandbox or go into something like Decentraland uh, where you can build cool stuff and you have happenings like in a really virtual city. So that that's how I would go about it. But I would really take my time. I think that's crucially important because um, when when you act from this place of, of missing out and from, you know, not wanting to get left behind, I think that's a really bad spot to to act from. And the results will show that. I'm I'm very certain of that. That that like how you approach it, is uh, crucial to, to to the results that you get.
0: I love that. Um, yeah, I, uh, I I really appreciate you coming on today. Um, you know, I think we covered a lot of really good topics, and I'm just so excited for kind of the future of of w- where we're gonna go with this industry and and the metaverse and everything. Um, I think really only time is going to tell us, you know, what craziness is actually going to (laughs) happen. You know, it's it's a coin flip. Um, I'm curious though, when you think about the metaverse, then and you know, definitions aside, I think a lot of people kind of get hung up on that. um, Myself included. Um, What are you, what are you the most excited about? when it comes to um, you know just the metaverse and, and your vision of what it can become. Like what's your North Star that you that really drives you to, to participate in this space?
1: So I think uh, for me there's, there's like it, it's kind of a crossroads and we are in a really interesting spot at the moment because I think for me, what's so cool about it, is all this tinkering and this decentralization and that it's so easy for developers even solo developers or small teams to spin up a project get a lot of recognition fast and and you know i just love that why for me this is what, what what really attracts me to that space like for for instance splinterlands this game that we discussed earlier they have a strict no advertisement policy all their success is just from word of mouth and that's so beautiful in a way and um what I'm afraid that might happen and especially with the announcement of uh, uh, Facebook becoming meta and uh, Zuckerberg showing his version of the metaverse is that we see these huge players coming in and of course they want to control the experience much more and and kind of and I've I've seen that with Facebook, uh, or with Meta, how they're called now, and I've become a little bit wary about about that because they they announced themselves becoming Meta, announced a big metaverse play, uh, and then a, a month later they retired their stablecoin. So I think that's a very concerted push to um, show regulators, look, we're the sensible choice. We are not these wild bunch of of savages out there who want to destroy the government, uh, so talk to us and make the reg- make regulations so that it favors us in the end. I think it's a very calculated play on their part, and this is something that I would um, hate to see when when all of a sudden all this regulation creeps in and it gets harder and harder and harder for small developers and small studios to develop um, applications because they have to jump through, through so many regulatory hoops, that it just becomes too expensive. And so what I would like to see is this kind of tinkering and this kind of decentralized innovation to to keep on going because I think this is what will create the most value uh, the, in the in the fastest possible time because we will see all of these experiments happening in parallel.
0: So is it the speed and the lack of lack of a barrier to entry? Do you think that's the most important to this innovation?
1: Yeah, and also the openness, like everybody talking with everybody else, because just the speed, and the lack of barriers of entry could also mean like 100,000 people running in parallel and not talking to each other. And that really wouldn't do so but now like we have so much communication happening and this is what where where it becomes so interesting because everybody learns from each other's experiments right and That's this right. is such a beautiful flywheel and i want to see this flywheel going on and not not slowing down and becoming more ossified and kind of um so i think this lack of structure is is actually a big plus even though it's totally chaotic but but it's kind <laughs> of a <laughs> a, a, a kind of you know pri- primal source of of innovation that I, I love I just love it it's really amazing to
0: see I, I couldn't agree more uh I, yeah I completely agree it's um it's really nice to see a lot of people who otherwise may not have been able to work together now have something to come together and work on which is, this, you know, blockchain, crypto, crypto gaming, the metaverse. Yeah. I mean, I've just been blown away by how many freaking smart people have come together and put, you know, everybody's putting their noggins together and everybody's so nice and cooperative and everybody answers your emails when you send them most of the time. And you know, just it really is awesome. I would I would hate for us to lose as a community the spirit of that because for any reason, because of, because of anything, um, talking about regulation and, you know, as we get bigger as a community, as a crypto community, we are going to have to tackle that, that hurdle and tackle that tackle that challenge. What do you hope the regulators get right with crypto and blockchain and the metaverse like if you could wave a magic wand and and have them set policy how you believe it should be done like what would you what would you say are kind of the more important points that they should that they have to get right for us to really keep the spirit alive mm-hmm. love that question
1: so i think uh recently the the biden administration executive order kind of leaked or i think it was announced and i think it was a, a really good um push the way i saw it that they want b- because we need regulation like you said uh, at the moment i think one of the biggest barriers to adoption of crypto is the lack of regulation because if i'm a company and i why why should i get paid in crypto the the tax implications are so murky i wouldn't touch it with a stick so that's hindering me actually from that's hindering crypto adoption so I think what regulators should do is uh, just be clear about what they want, uh, what they need actually um, from the crypto space and then allow the industry uh, their inputs about how this can be achieved. Because the way I see it, a lot of the crypto industry is actually interested in getting regulated and getting regulated in the right way. And they approach lawmakers proactively. Um, uh, we have seen that like a year ago when this all this crypto group uh, worked with, with senators, Loomis and, and so on. And um, I'd love to see that going forward. So if I could make uh, wave my magic wand, I would love regulators to, to uh, be really light handed, but to be really clear and 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 have it and kind of participate in this kind of iteration that happens because so much is going to change. And what we see with a lot of regulation is this as soon as regulation happens, this game of cat and mouse begins or police and thieves. You know, there's regulation, there's a way to bypass the regulation, the regulation tightens, so there's another way and blah, 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 blah. blah. And uh, I, I think this is super frustrating for both sides of the equation. It's frustrating for companies who have to uh, fulfill more and more and more documentary duties, um, uh, compliance duties and so on and so forth. And it's um, frustrating for lawmakers who who kind of have to engage in this game of, ah, OK, they found that now uh, we have to tighten there and so on. And I think the way out is to stay in this openness and to stay in this dialog and not come uh, th- this temptation to to come to this place where it's kind of fire and forget like I make this law now, and then I don't have to touch it again for ten years. I think this is something that will not work for crypto, especially not now, and shouldn't happen. But it should remain this kind of dialogue where lawmakers are just or regulators are just really clear. They say, like, we want to collect taxes on gains. Okay, sure, of course, you should. Um, we want to have some some, some controls that uh, terrorism and uh, child pornography and so on is not financed. Okay, how can we do that? Because actually it's it's not that easy. It's not that easy even with fiat. So maybe, you know, like, how how can that work? But engage in a dialogue and and be a part of this fast, fast iterating process of innovation um, that I think would be um, would be very, very, very good for regulators also to get into, because it might inspire them to. Uh, to use other tactics than they used before.
0: So if I'm hearing correctly, and I actually think it's brilliant, it's almost like the regulators decide, okay, what do we want to achieve here? What's our goals? And almost push the responsibility of figuring out how to reach those goals back on us as a crypto community. Let us propose solutions for how to get there, send it back to them. And they're like, okay, this could work. This and uh, we need some more, you know, try again here, so on and so forth, and then send it back to us, let us fix it up, and then back to them. I guess a question there is, since it's we're all decentralized, and there is a bunch of chaos, and there are a bunch of different people, who who do the regulators even speak with? Like, what what body of humans or projects or entities would come together... To form that other side of the conversation with the regulators, how do you determine who determines that?
1: Good question, and, and I think that's that's like where where it gets so um, so sticky because we we've seen that uh, time and again in in other industries. Like I was I was working for a company that did consulting. Um, for car companies and electronics companies, what happens with vehicles or uh, products at the end of life. So after they get uh, recycled, basically, and there's a bunch of regulation, like what needs to happen, for instance, with cars, there's this regulation that says 95% of a car have to be able to be recycled at the end of life. So then regulators said, this is what we want. And the car industry stepped forward and said like, okay, we're going to help you determine how this is calculated and um, this this needs to happen for the crypto industry as well. So now the car industry is, of course, heavily centralized. You basically have maybe, I don't know, 12 or so major players uh, that kind of make up the whole industry. And in crypto, it's hundreds. But, But, and this is the really important point, crypto has an instrument that traditional industries doesn't have and it's an instrument for reaching consensus. And I think, you know, this is, this is like, it makes it really easy, like people, there there can be like a a crypto governance DAO (laughs) and then people can vote with their shares or whatever. And so I think. I don't really have an answer to that, but I would love to see these modes of organizing that we see developing now, like DAOs um, and all these wonderful experiments in governance that we are doing to be applied here and to really see a departure from this uh, hierarchical form of organizing that that we have uh, seen in corporations and governments until now, because I think that we are um, as a society at the point where the complexity that we face, the challenges that we face is so high that this hierarchical, centralized form of governance is just too slow. It will lead us into uh, a lot of problems and we need to become much more agile and, and, and quick and also quicker to coordinate if we want to like tackle these challenges going forward as a society. So, so this is something I'm actually uh, really excited about in the crypto space. Is this kind of, that it kind of gives people the permission to organize in a different way.
0: Yeah, these are a lot of really good points. Maybe what, what a takeaway is, is if we expect regulators to listen to us, we need to prove that we can be organized in and in effective in a decentralized way. We need to reach consensus together as a crypto community come together as a crypto community and show that we have the ability to function at a very high level to the point where it's a no brainer to then work with us as opposed to to help solve some of these problems because not doing so would be so painful to the regulators because they they're missing out on so much context and nuance that only we who are within the community could help provide. Maybe that's the solution.
1: Yeah, sounds sounds really good. I think that way you could you could uh, totally have solved that. <laughs> you sold it to me. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, awesome. but 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 I think look look at what happened at Sushi Swap. Like um, the, it, it's governed by a distributed autonomous organization, and it has seen so many difficult things happening, but the organization is still thr- thriving. So I think we can see that these organizations are incredibly resilient. And I think that, that there's a lot of, uh, of strength there that's not visible um, at the first glance and uh, that need, probably needs to be communicated better. It's, it's not just like a uh, airy fairy kind of uh, governmental experiment that will fail sooner or later, but I think it's a um,
0: necessary next step to organizing people. I think so too. I think so too. And what's interesting is, I think where we might actually see the grand majority of experiments happen is within games, because each game is going to be a perfect breeding ground for many, many, many of these different experiments, because we'll have the game as a whole, there'll be the greater game community. There, and then within the game, there are going to be different factions of players and groups of players that come together. Those are all; those could all be DAOs or some sort of organize, organized group of, of players coming together. And so you have multiple, you know, within. And then between games, we're going to need like an inter-game alliance at some point. And then there are going to be different types of those. Yeah, I, I, that's what I'm really excited to see also is like, how can we solve problems within the microcosm of games that we can then apply the, these learnings to everything else? And and maybe at the end of the day, games are what saves us. I would love
1: that. <laughs> I think, I think as a society we play much too much too little. I mean, definitely, <laughs> we, need more, we need more play. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Well, Rafael, I want to thank you so much for for coming on the show today. Um, I know we're a bit over time here, so I appreciate you um, uh, appreciate you sharing your your very valuable time. Um, thank you for all the the research that you've done. Um, I know y'all have the your report coming out. Um, relatively soon so um, you know maybe w- you could just give a little a brief snapshot on what that's going to entail and then whenever it does come out um, I can update some of the, the links in the description to make sure people can go um, do whatever they need to do to, to get access to it
1: okay yeah thanks so um, the the game for report from Cointelegraph consulting will come out uh, on Monday the 14th. And um, in the report, we kind of look at the history of GameFi, then we come into like how players are making money and we are comparing five top blockchain games that we selected. And then we kind of go into the dark side of uh, GameFi, so uh, regulatory concerns, environmental concerns. Uh, what we touched on in our interview about um, if the dice are loaded, like uh, play to earn versus have to earn. Uh, And then we touched on the subject of property rights that we um, discussed in the beginning of this podcast. So I think all in all, it gives you a very interesting overview of the space and the developments inside and like what makes GameFi so special. But it's out on Monday, so yeah.
0: Awesome. Love that. Love that. Um, Well, again, thank you so much for your time. Um, I really appreciate you and to everybody who's watching and listening. I want to thank you all. And um, yeah, just want to just say thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you all the best and have a great evening. Likewise.